0: What is up, guys? Welcome to episode 52 of the Triage Method Podcast.
1: So, Patty, how are you this week? I am absolutely fantastic, Gary. Life is good. It's starting to be sunny again. You know yourself, and that obviously always makes everyone happier. And um, what's the story with you? You're on placement now, aren't yeah, you? so final placement,
0: almost ready to graduate. Um, so it's going grand, just the usual. Usual shit. So w- what are we going to talk about today? So today we're going to be talking a little bit about autoimmune disease slash arthritis Um, and we've actually got a guest here, a very special guest, Michael Delaney, who's going to be kind of introducing us to the concept of training, living with such a condition. He might talk about some of the specifics of his condition and hopefully that will kind of give some of you an insight into, I guess, one, what it's like to live with a chronic condition but more importantly I think what we're focused on is how to thrive you know when you've been given such a diagnosis and not to feel like it's going to take over your life because I think this will carry over into a lot of other things that are related to everyday people you know like a lot of us kind of feel sorry for ourselves or think that we're broken if we've got like small little bits of misalignment so to speak or problems with our posture or you know we think our bodies need to be perfect and i think it's good to look to, at the other side of the coin to people who actually have chronic conditions and see how they thrive to kind of help us to understand how we can also kind of thrive as well so um that's going to form the basis of today so mike if you want to introduce yourself um, you're more than welcome. okay thanks for having me mate i appreciate it um okay so
2: i am a fitness person <laughs> Um, I'm an online coach slash fitness influencer. I also do a few bits on the side as well, uh, like TV background work and odd bits of. I've done the odd speaking role actually. Just you know, I don't know if that qualifies me as an actor now rather than a rather than an extra. But there it is. I did I did a little commercial recently with uh, Ryan Giggs's brother, which <laughs> <laughs> was on on the uh, Paddy Power commercial actually um so were you in that yeah that was yeah I'm da- it, yeah about 49
0: in the one minute advert my dad my dad showed me that ad i thought it was fucking hilarious i was like how did they air this yeah, yeah. <laughs> it like
2: but yeah it. so yeah i've been training for about maybe 12 years It's i always i never know what to say when people ask me that because it's like well do you mean optimally or, you know, consistently unbroken or what, you know? So yeah, I've been training about 12 years, if you want to, to simplify it. Uh, um, and I've been coaching people online for about two or three years now. Um, so I started off just using Instagram fitness stuff as like a hobby. It was just, I just throw posts up when I felt like it. And then a picture of mine went viral by accident. So I thought, hang on a minute, you know, that gained a bit of traction. I could probably put a bit more effort into this and uh, make something of it. And I was getting fed up with my office job at the time. Uh, So I took a year of unpaid leave to do a bit of travel and just sort of test the water with it. And uh, by the time I went to go back, uh, there was a redundancy situation going on. So I took advantage of that and left and got on a redundancy payout so i kind of landed on my feet there (laughs) um and then i've not been back in like a full-time slash normal job since so yeah that's that And how
1: did you get started in this whole fitness stuff because obviously it's different for everyone like people come to it because they're overweight people come to it because they've always been an athlete they've always been involved in this stuff and you know coming to the gym is just another avenue another outlet for them so like how how did you come to this whole fitness sphere whatever this world is that we're in
2: well i think training just to look better was a is a relatively new thing for me um and i only started doing it because i found that i would get a lot of sort of roi for it i can get in shape you know relatively easily like i just found i was quite responsive to it to to weight training um growing up i was always extremely active and that was a result of uh, parental influence so was just in the extremely lucky position of having parents that took me all over the world and made us go on big massive hikes and bike rides and horse rides and threw us in the water and stuff like that you know so always really active growing up although i was actually like always the smallest guy in school <laughs> like just this tiny guy but um I was good at the 100-meter sprint as a result. So, yeah, always been active. And then – so I played football. I did a bit of BMXing. um, I started training seriously or semi-seriously around the age of 17. Um, In fact, probably a bit before that, but not that seriously. So I started messing around with, like, 3K dumbbells in my room at, like, 14, 15. I would just do biceps and shoulders. That was it. See the bicep there, or shoulders there. <laughs> so I'd literally just be curled for like a yeah. standing so- a shoulder press. And then I would walk downstairs and drink raw eggs. <laughs> but,
1: but honestly, like, I mean, made- Nothing, like it was going, going from nothing to yeah, i think something. a lot of people don't realize that that like you look at people where they are now like someone like stumble across your your instagram stumble across any of your social medias then they look at your physique and they obviously go like geez this guy must have been doing everything right from fucking day one you know they must have had like a trainer they must have had it locked in but that that's rarely the case
2: yeah yeah well actually i always noticed in school that I had abs, like I just always yeah. had, even though, you know, I'm technically just a skinny guy, I always had abs. And my dad used to say to me, Oh, you've got footballers' legs. And I was like, and So that just meant like I had like a line underneath my knee where, where like, where like your knee joint goes in and then your calf comes out, yeah. like the, just that line, <laughs> like that was it. So I, I sort of knew that I was quite responsive to training and that I had yeah. some sort of genetics on my side. So I started messing around with like, tiny weights in my room uh, at, at the age of 14, 15 and then, but it was mostly cardio, like football, BMX and that sort of thing, running around, climbing trees. <laughs> um, and then, and that's another thing actually I think, early life was like everyone played outside, you know, everyone mm. made tree houses and dens and stuff. There was no, there was computer games, but that came a little bit later and then my PlayStation got stolen and uh, I never replaced it, which I'm actually quite thankful for so um, yeah I I started college did some A levels I don't know what the equivalent is in Ireland but yeah the leaving cert right yeah I was like 16 17 and I met a friend there who was also into just training in general like he did Jiu Jitsu I think not BJJ like normal Jiu Jitsu Um, and we would go on runs we would lift weights I think I did like full body every day with him and like, I've heard that as a legit approach. Actually, just depends on what you do, doesn't it? I would just yeah. hop around and all these exercises with these two guys, and they were one of them was my age, one was a little bit younger, but they were kind of just bigger and more broad. um And I noticed that I was always leaner than they were, and even though they were stronger than me, actually quite a bit stronger, I was just always in better shape than than them, and they just accused me of like using stuff all the time and i'm like Hmm. (laughs) 17 i've got a clue you know so um but it was literally just an enjoyment thing you know just because i had the energy and the
1: the
2: want to do it you know and we go on these big like runs in the woods and stuff like that and it's just stuff that we enjoyed like and just honestly just training for enjoyment and and to look better for girls i suppose you know just the same reason as everyone else and then Actually, as it got more, as it became more linked with my income later on, it actually got less fun. Well, I'll, I'll go into yeah, that so, a bit later. So, <laughs> but yeah, I've always been really, been really active growing so, up. So
1: take us from now, you're whatever, you're seventeen, 17, 18, 19, that kind of age, and take take us through the next few years because, like, obviously you're doing your A levels, you're doing whatever. Like, what are you doing? What are you deciding to do career wise? Are you going like I want to come into this stuff, and I'm like I really enjoy this fitness stuff. I want to do something in this? Or are you going like, no, I need to get, like, are your parents actually going like, you need to get a real, a quote unquote, real, real job. Uh, Mm -hmm. You need to get like, you know, I don't know, do accounting, do something. like Talk us through the next few years up until you get this issue that you've come across.
2: Yeah. So um, the arthritis started quite early, actually, when I was 17. Um, I was in college at the time or actually I was due to start college. Um, We went on a family holiday to Morocco uh, and we all got ill. We all had like, you know, dysentery and whatnot. Um, It's kind of a rite of passage in some countries, I suppose. Um, And we were all ill and then we recovered after a day or so, you know. Um, Actually, we went there to climb mountains. (laughs) Um, We went up... Jebel Toubkal, which is like I think it's maybe the third highest in Africa or something like that. It takes a couple of days, um, and that's I can't remember the height on it. Like, but coming down from that, or maybe another walk in the area. It's called the High Atlas Mountains. The, the region coming down from that, I think I came down with sunstroke um, and was really ill. Uh, I remember I had to get carried down this mountain on a on a mule. <laughs> like they actually put me on a mule because because I just was so weak. And like i had the shirts as well and i was it was just not an ideal place to have them so they carried me down the mountain on this mule i was in this like village with these berber like berber tribes that we like arranged to stay with see my mom and dad they just love going off track you know so you know we never we never had like maybe one holiday where it's like in a resort and you're just like but even then we were learning to swim so mm. fair enough um See, I had to mention the arthritis early on because it it started early on. Do you know what I mean? And um, what was that
1: like in terms of like symptom wise? Um, like, obviously, you're saying you're well. Actually, you're going to explain the story now in a second, so I suppose I should wait.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. See, I thought it was just like dysentery, and then I'm and then that's me done. You know, I'm I'm right as rain again. And I got back, and um, see, it was we went to Morocco in the August of. Two thousand and five and I was due to start my A levels in the September. Um so I was working full time over the summer in McDonald's. (laughs) Um also a rite of passage (laughs) everyone in my college, like part-time or full time, you know, like just full time over the summer. And uh I was I remember I was doing this shift one one afternoon, I started getting a really itchy eye, I was like, what the fuck's wrong like and um one of the managers like, looked at me and he said, oh, have you got conjunctivitis? I said, what? Never heard of it. Like, and he said, um, yeah, you've got like all this gunky shit in your eye. Like, you might want to get that looked at. Just take the day off. I was like, all right, okay. So I went, got it looked at. Yeah, you've got conjunctivitis. You know, Here's some eye drops and some antibiotics and whatnot. So that cleared up. And then around the same time, I started to get some kidney issues as well like just this pain in my lower back. And I was like, and I knew it wasn't like muscular. So I was like, what's that? So I went and got checked for all this stuff. And they said, yeah, yeah, you've got a a kidney infection. So, you know, drink loads of water, all this stuff, antibiotics again, had that. And that was that sorted. And then uh, I noticed I was waking up in the morning and the first few steps I was taking were kind of painful um, in my ankles. And already at that point, like at 17, I'd just turned 17. And already at that point, my attitude towards that sort of thing was just like, hmm. Hmm, probably slept funny. Let's just ignore it and carry on. Um, and, you know, it got it disappear after like literally 20 minutes, like first few steps or something. Didn't think anything of it and then it started getting swollen as well and i was like what is going on like and then my knees were swollen as well so it was like both ankles my right knee and then i noticed my neck was stiff as well i couldn't turn past like here and i was like wow what's going on here and it got to the point where i was like i'm gonna to have to go and get this looked at so i remember i went to the hospital with my mum because she has quite a medical background she's a psychiatric nurse for decades actually. She started off on a ward and then specialized in psychiatry. And she ended up running her own clinic, actually, um, which is interesting. And we went there, and they did all these tests on me. And it was almost as though when I got to the hospital, it started getting worse. Strangely. It was like I ended up in a bed and being, like, kept in overnight. And at this point, you know, because it progressed over, like, a week or 10 days or so, and it was getting worse and worse, and my, you know, my ankles were swollen, my knee was swollen, my neck was stiff, and they were doing all these tests on me, kept me in, um, and they said we actually thought it was it could have been um, meningitis B because of the stiff neck, but there were also other problems as well. So I, I mean, I didn't. <laughs> they said, oh, it could be meningitis B. I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll just ignore what you're saying then and just wait until you've confirmed it rather than just like, <laughs> like your <thoughts> there. <laughs> So they came back and they said, it looks like you've developed reactive arthritis, which is an arthritic condition, which is triggered as a reaction to another virus that you've had. So this stomach bug that I had in Morocco was the, was the trigger for it. And I was susceptible. The reason I, only I got developed it as a reaction to it. And Oh, and the, the conjunctivitis and the kidney infection, that's like, that that usually precedes it. It's not the cause, but it's usually like a telltale sign because your immune system's all messed up. Um, the reason why I got it is because I have an underlying gene type called HLA-B27, um, which is a surface antigen i believe the immune system just i don't know enough about the about the immune system as I, as I should um i started reading about it and it was just like wow I, i'd have to go like back to a level biology to Man, to start to understand
1: forget this. about that Like i study biochemistry and whenever they start talking about the the immune system i'm like and this stuff like it just seems like does everything and you're just like i don't even know how how you can get to the the bottom of it like where do you even start and where do you even stop with the stuff so Mm. you could go back do other a levels do do biology you still still wouldn't know anything
2: (laughs) yeah this gene type apparently it um it's linked with spondyloarthropathies in the sense that most people with spondyloarthropathy have the gene, but not everybody who has the gene develops spondyloarthropathy, And this gene apparently is overrepresented in Scandinavian countries, um, something like 24% of the Scandinavian population have it, and vastly underrepresented in Japan, where like 1.5% of the population have it. So these weird, like these weird trends. So they found that gene, and they were like, right, okay, well, that kind of explains it then, because it, it you, you, there's a number of diseases or autoimmune diseases that you can be, that you'll have enhanced susceptibility to, by possessing this gene, and there's a mnemonic, uh, which is PEAR, so psoriasis, ankylosing spondylitis, IBS, and what's the other? Mm. Reactive arthritis. That's it. So reactive arthritis. The, the symptom prognosis is the symptoms can last up to six months at a maximum, and then once once that flare-up, so to speak, has gone, because that's how it's characterised. Right, it's a series of flare-ups that, and once that's gone, that initial flare-up. I had it for six months, by the way, which I'll go into in a minute. So um, I got the full back. Once that's gone, there's something like a 70% chance that it won't come back or that it will come back, sorry. Yeah, I got that the wrong way around. So after I was diagnosed with that, um, I was kept in hospital <clears throat> for five days. And throughout that time, I was on um, a drip of prednisolone, which is a strong uh, what's a corticosteroid. It was like – and I literally it was just this – cold liquid, I could feel it going in my arm, up my arm and then like round my body. It was so, old. it was really heavy dosage. <clears throat> and at this point, like, I mean, this was a 17 year old lad that was just like running around beforehand and like going to the gym and like chasing girls and stuff like that, you know, because I was, you know, I was going out and drinking at this point as well. You know, I was just doing everything. Um, <clears throat> and the guys that I was mates with at the time weren't particularly uh, from much of an academic background, they were more into like boxing and jujitsu and getting in fights and stuff. But we connected on the training thing, you know, so it was all good. And they came to visit me, and, and they were like, "Wow, that's mad, that lad! You know, it's so weird that you're in bed like with this." You know, and it was it was just completely alien to them that that I would just go from being this guy that was like running up hills and stuff to just bedbound, which was just, and it was quite well it's weird I'm just going from one one extreme to the other um, and yeah, like obviously
1: like de- them looking at you seeing that they, they looking from the outside perspective they can go oh Jesus that's that's pretty weird that like one day you're fucking Jack the Lad having a bit of banter you know nights out training whatever and then you're literally bed bound like obviously them looking at that that's pretty dramatic but like how did that make you feel did that make you like completely reassess your life did that make you kind of reassess like well obviously it does but does that make you reassess everything up to that point? Or like, like how did you respond to that mentally?
2: Honestly, I think I responded quite well to it. It actually didn't elicit that much of a response from me. I, my, and I honestly think that's a parental thing. Mm. Like it's specifically my mom, actually. Um, my mom is quite stoic. You know, she's, I don't know. She's like her and my dad, they met at a running club, actually. So, like, they're really, really active. You know, they are going on all these trips and, you know, they just got a real sort of passion for life, especially yeah. exercise. And my mum's just, like, her approach to problems and stuff, she's just like, just get on with it sort of thing. And I feel like I just had that instilled in me already to the point where I was just like, oh, well, all, all my joints are swollen, I guess, Um I guess I'll have to walk a bit slower or, you know, I guess taking a shower will be a bit difficult. I actually actually declined every bed bath that I was offered and just limped over to the shower in the chest. (laughs) I could have even been helped, but I just, I don't know. I don't know. I just just had this, I just thought, well, oh, well, um, I can't do this, this, and this. So I guess I'll just do this, this, and this Mm -hmm. instead. I guess I'll just operate within the bounds of what I can do because this is outside of my control. So... It's just, that that was just what I thought. I didn't, it didn't like upset me at all. Actually, I think my mom and dad were more worried about me than I was worried about me. So, you know, um, yeah, that was that. And I was in hospital for like five days. I had all these different tests and stuff and all these drugs put in me. And then I went home uh, to start my A levels. And, uh, I was actually bed bound for about, I think it was about two months after the initial diagnosis because, well, I couldn't walk, <laughs> I actually couldn't walk. I was in like a, a wheelchair, basically, I didn't get any, do you know what, this is really underdocumented. I didn't really get any pictures or anything, um, I was in a wheelchair and then they gave me, I I was promoted to crutches actually after a while, <laughs> um, yeah, I got a tricep pump off them crutches. <laughs> Um, I didn't really try to train. I just thought, oh, training's just going to be off limits now because I couldn't even move my neck. Actually, my jaw was affected as well. So I was like trying to chew my food, yeah. like, <laughs> just eating <laughs> porridge all the time. Um, but it kind of fucked up my health because for the first couple of months, I was having to get work sent home to me because I wasn't able to go into college. Um, so that I kind of fell behind a bit with that and ended up sacking my a-levels off after uh, after the first year um and the symptoms cleared up after six months so they got progressively better you know like my feet were really swollen at first and then and then one of them like sort of left off and then the other one went and, and i just gradually got my mobility back um but that was when i was 17 so i think i was diagnosed in like september officially diagnosed september 2005. And it lasted, um, so into the new year, into 2006, so around like February, March, it started to clear up. Um, And the end of that academic year, like June, July, I sat my AS exams, um, didn't really do that well, (laughs) sat them off um, because some of the subjects were just, just, weren't what I expected and I wanted to go and join the Royal Marines. <laughs> so being physically better at this point, I thought, oh, it'll be cool. Like, I'll just, you know, fuck these A-levels off. You know, so I, so I binned them and then went through. Went, it's like, right, right, I'm 17, I want to join the Royal Marines. And they were like, right, okay. So they give me this big application form, and I looked through it, and it was like disqualification points, <laughs> rheumatoid arthritis, reactive arthritis, shit. Um, and I, I pulled it in anyway, and I was like, you know, these, I don't have symptoms anymore. Like, is that, how am I, how, where do I, where do I stand with this? And they said, we, we can't accept you. Like, and I was like, Oh, okay, never mind. So I went back to working in McDonald's full time over the summer, <laughs> just look just until I decided what else I was going to do. Um, and around this time, I actually joined the Army Reserve which is like Uh the army book part-time. So you you train once a week, like one evening a week, and then you go away for a couple of weekends a month on exercise just to put in practice what you've learned and stuff. And their attitude was, even though technically it's the same medical disqualification like um, administratively, they were like, well, I went in front of an army doctor and he said, look, if your symptoms are not bothering you this morning um, with it being a reserve unit, People are in and out all the time in terms of attendance. So if you have to take time off because of, because you're having a flare up, then we'll just deal with that. You know, what I mean, we'll just you can just sign six month leave or something. So that was what I decided to do. So I joined the army reserve, um, just stuck my hand up for anything and everything that they offered me, like you know, the good stuff, the bad stuff, everything. And then I think I was. Largely symptom-free for a long time, um, but I mean, I had it sort of looping over me that it might come back. Oh, actually, I had a few eye problems that were linked to it, so it's it's like an articular mm-hmm. um, manifestation of the joint problem. So because I have that underlying problem with my immune system, the HLA B twenty-seven gene, I'm susceptible to all kinds of autoimmune diseases. Um, so. I had that. I've had that on and off for ages, actually, the eye problems. Um, the treatment after I came out of hospital, I was still on a really high oral dosage of prednisolone, so 40 milligrams, I remember, that's like the maximum that you can have orally. And I read, I opened the leaflet to it, and I was like, oh, <laughs> potential side effects, bone thinning, hair loss, uh, muscle wastage, Um hearing things that do not exist, like, (laughs) serious, man, there's, like, literally, like, of of potential side effects. And I was just, like, fuck this shit, man. This is bullshit. I'm not going to get any of these. (laughs) I don't know. I just told myself I wasn't going to get them, and I just kind of just, I just didn't think about them. I just didn't read the side effects and then keep them in my head. I was just, like, I guess we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, then. But I did get a fat, watery face from it. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, right? And lost your hair. <laughs> but, you know, even that about muscle wastage, this is what sort of reaffirmed to me, like, shit, I must have good genetics for lifting weights, for, for building muscle, because despite the potential muscle wastage thing, bone pinning, I was completely fine. Like, I just trained as normal. I just thought, I'll just train normal Um, and it meant that I had to watch my blood sugar levels and I had to get regular blood tests for that and I couldn't drink any alcohol um, or at least be really careful with it so that was that I was on them for like another year something like that and then I was finally tapered off and then this I was about 18 at this point so from 18 up until 24, 25 I don't think I had any more arthritic issues i had some tendonitis in my ankle that was largely undiagnosed by the time by the time that was sorted they were like oh it could be arthritis because it can affect your tendons as well or it might not be we don't really know i remember they actually gave me a walking stick on that occasion rather than crutches which is really weird um <laughs> i ended up throwing it away because i was too embarrassed to walk around with a walking stick <laughs> and i got crutches instead of mate, so yeah that was that um, I think what did I do I started working at 18 in an office job at uh, B&Q which is like a I don't know if you have it, it's a big DIY store so I was part of the admin behind really that. so I was in like in complaints, payroll, invoices, financing stuff you know all that sort of stuff and I worked there for like 7 years um, and all the, all the while I was doing stuff with the army reserves as well so I would work like seven days a week I remember I went like five or six months without a day off once just because I'd be working at B&Q Monday to Friday and then on the weekend I would either do overtime with B&Q to cover for somebody or I would be on exercise so that was that yeah so I was just working all the time like and I did that until I was 25. (laughs)
0: yeah no i think like one of the one of the things that you've touched on that probably very much resonates with anyone that actually listens to our podcast is the idea that you have you essentially looked at the medication the side effects the disease in general and thought you know what i'm just going to kind of brush it aside as best as i can and keep on pushing on and i think like that's a really difficult thing to do and i think the other thing is that when people view a certain disease or a certain condition or whatever like if someone thinks about heart disease or they think about alzheimer's or they think about rheumatoid arthritis a certain person comes to mind like anyone that's listening to this if you think of a, someone you might you might think of that might have like a spondyloarthritis or reactive arthritis it's probably not a young really active guy who's pretty jacked and has viral photos on instagram so i think like that's something that is definitely inspirational for anyone who is in a similar position and something that I definitely like people to take away from this because what I get a lot is people asking, you know, oh my, my physio or my doctor said that I can't, I can't squat. Mm-hmm. I can't deadlift, I shouldn't lift weights because I have arthritis in my knee. You know, and this, that's not even an autoimmune condition. It's just someone who has a little bit of arthritis, which is just something you might see on an MRI. And it's yeah. like those sorts of things, they make people weak because that is essentially telling you that your body is broken and that you're not able to live the life that you want to live. And it sounds from my perspective that like you've been exposed to maybe some similar narratives, but what you did was essentially brush those things aside and said, well, what are you going to do? Like you just have to get on with it.
2: Well, I think, um, yeah, like I did, I was sort of exposed to those narratives. Yeah, but the thing is as well with, healthcare especially if it's government provided and you know it's like nhs you know free healthcare it's like an ass covering exercise man like they can't say they have to say you can't squat and deadlift yeah it's like grandma like you know be careful it's just kind of yeah and and i i always thought to myself like like if i sit if I just like sit there and do what they tell me, I would just feel like such a bitch, just like as though I'm just using it as an excuse. Because like, the thing is, I question everything. Like, not like, like more like in an indecisive sort of way. Like if someone tells me, that, I'm like, maybe it's not. Like, you know, and so like, yeah. telling me this stuff, like, oh, you should, you know, be careful. And and then I think to myself, I've, I've read stuff about all these I read about these people, like these historical figures that have, like, you know, they ran a marathon like every day for a week or something, despite having heart disease, or you know, you know, I'll read that, read, read all this drastic stuff, and I think, Do you know what? I think you have to just be a bit reckless sometimes, and you're not that fragile, you know. And so that was also, I think it was just like a, I think again, like a lot of it came from my mom. It was just like a what are you going to do? Like, just get on with it. And I also, I'd never actually had this mindset as though it was somebody's fault that I was sick. Do you know what I mean? Like some things is just a ball ache. Like some things are just unfortunate. Like I wasn't, I wasn't out to, you know, like I never, I was always like very patient with my treatment as well. Probably in some cases, maybe too patient, you know, like letting people off the hook, like, Oh, I guess I'll see you again in four months then. You know, stuff like that, and maybe not really asking as much about it as I should, because I was just like so in this mindset of, like, oh, let's just do what I can then, let's just get on with it. Do you know what I mean? It was so, it was like, I I see a lot of people now that are, like, if any any sort of misfortune befalls them, like, it has to be someone's fault. It either has to be someone's fault. Or you then have to get something back in compensation for it, or something. And it's just like a weird mindset to me because sometimes you are dealt stuff that's just a ball ache. And so
1: it's not anyone's fault. Like, it's just, I don't know, it kind of makes me cringe. Yeah, like, I think, I think, as a, well, just from what you're saying, like, well, yeah. we'll go through the society thing. Like, society now loves to push that kind of victimhood. Narrative, And we can get into like the politics and everything of it, whatever. But I actually think the fundamental issue is that we have conflated responsibility and fault, right? Like those two terms, they're completely different things, but obviously they overlap completely. So rather than people taking responsibility, they immediately look to place fault, right? Like if you say to someone that, oh, your kids are unruly, right? They automatically go, oh, you're saying that as an attack on me right? if You're saying my kids are unruly or whatever it is, right? They're automatically like, that's an attack on me. You're saying that it's my fault that that my kids are unruly. And like that may be the case, but realistically what someone is saying in that case is it's your responsibility to make sure your kids aren't unruly, right? And like fault and responsibility aren't necessarily the same thing. And as I said, like they do overlap and by the sounds of it, you didn't want to fall into that narrative of, oh, this is a a victimhood or I am a victim of my circumstances. I'm a victim of this fucking cosmic joke that's been played on me, right? You fell into that and go, okay, this is nobody's fault, but it's my responsibility to deal with it. It's it's like your responsibility to go, okay, so what can I do? Okay, I can't do this. I can't do X, Y, and Z. I can hardly Mm -hmm. fucking wipe my arse, but I can do these things, so why don't i just get on with that and that's a very uh like post-war britain or post-war british mentality it's like yeah okay cool like all our greatest fucking men died but we still have to fucking rebuild the country so let's get on with it you know all my
2: best joints are fucked but still have to build muscle (laughs) yeah but i mean i think i actually think perhaps a part of it is just me being maybe a bit passive as well sometimes like an element it could could be an element of that as well like just me going oh well guess this this is how it is like because I could I could like like it never bothers me I never get miserable about it ever because just that safety net is there of like well I can't do anything about it you know and obviously my inbox is blowing up from like you know diet suggestions and things like that Mm -hmm. it's like I've got this gene bro (laughs) No, you know um, yeah. yeah it's because your diet is inflammatory bro. coffee <laughs> you know, so yeah um so yeah, i guess some funny ones honestly like i had this guy that, that said um i don't know if um i don't know if this could be any help but my dad had uh, had osteoporosis or something like that he had this um, joint problem, and he actually went to a homeopathic doctor who, who would sting him with honeybees. Uh, <laughs> the, venom, the venom would, like, counteract yeah. the with that, like anti-inflammatory properties. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. Yes, if you do find a
1: beehive, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, this, 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 is, this is the thing like we were saying this in our in our last podcast, we were talking about like evolutionary biology and stuff. And th- this is the thing, like this is obviously like you have a genetic condition, right? Well, a genetic mm. mutation, right? Which then manifests itself because of an epigenetic cue. So your environment has made you manifest mm. this phenotype from what your gene is telling to telling your body to manifest, right? So obviously if you can influence it one way, your environment influences that, people automatically assume that, Okay, well, if the environment influences influences it, that means I can influence the environment to influence it the other way, and you get all these like evolutionary arguments where it's like, oh well, you know, we weren't designed to eat grains, and that's that's why you have this inflammatory yeah. condition. It's the grains in your yeah. diet, or like you're you're just kind of trolling there, like you know, it's like, oh well, you should eat a carnivore diet. You know, it's it's all this, the phytic acid yeah. in vegetables, and it's like like pick whatever fucking any random potentially like very potentially correlated thing and let oh let's 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 dial in on that it's like this this is a genetic mutation like would you say that to someone like you know if you i don't know had blue eyes be like oh well look it's your genetic fucking mutation here that gives you blue eyes you just eat fucking snails and uh they're gonna go brown (laughs) you know it's like this is just completely like, obviously, yes, you are going to have to change some things in your diet. And I am presume we're going to talk about that a little bit in a second. Uh, but, you know, you're going to have to do some things to modify your approach to life because you do have a condition. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you can just treat this condition and go, oh, yeah, I know I'm taking this. You're, you're taking Humira, isn't it? Yeah. So obviously that comes with its own side effects, and like, do you, you genuinely like? I always look when people give this this unsolicited advice on the internet. It's like, do you genuinely think that you're going to be putting this stuff in your body that has its own set of side effects, and you haven't even potentially looked into what you could do otherwise to to help with you, with your issues? Like, do people genuinely think? Like, I know people are trying to be helpful and whatever, but do people genuinely think that you haven't done the slightest bit of investigative work and gone hmm I'm taking these medications that also come with these side effects so and, and, uh, yeah they, that come with their own side effects you just think that like oh I'm just not going to you know look into this any further no diet stuff no nothing like I do people genuinely think that yeah yeah well yeah they do
2: um, <laughs> and, and like I always ask I always ask doctors when I see them just out of interest I know what they're going to say there's no research to show that, you know, and, I, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like a thousand people have inboxed me and said that gluten-free has helped them or, you know, going vegan has helped them or, you know, eating only steak three times a day has helped them, which is, of course, ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I just wouldn't even – I'd rather have joint problems than only eat steak. Like, <laughs> you know – honeybees <laughs> i might i might pull that one next time i might actually ask the doctor and just to see the reaction but they always say like no like you know and then and then you get the whole gut flora thing you know with starches and all that and honestly i've never really trialed any kind of diet any kind of special diet because a i'm skeptical which is maybe part of the reason why it won't work <laughs> the, the nocebo um I'm skeptical and also like you're talking months of eliminating things and then reintroducing them and like all the stuff that you're eliminating as well like dairy, starches um, you know just like carbs in general fucking gluten I don't know I've even heard stuff, stuff about vegetable like some vegetables like from the nightshade family like peppers white potatoes tomatoes you know all these are like pro-inflammatory and and it's like i'm gonna like which diet am i gonna do how long am i gonna try it for it's i also find it really difficult to mentally like register these changes in my body like is it worse today than yesterday is it i don't know it's just it's so trippy to me to try and even register that maybe i should write it down like I, i to be honest i don't do a good job of like of doing that, you know, the, the whole trial and error thing. And I haven't really experimented with any diets because A, I'm skeptical. And B, it's just a lot of toil, man. You know, so I've, I've heard that, you know, like sugar is bad, like processed sugar is bad. And I did have a day where I ate a lot of sugar, man, a lot. And then the next day, my foot was like a fucking balloon. Um, but do you know what else? I was also walking around all day. So copy that as well. You know, because because like with arthritis, the more you move around, the more it loosens up. Especially if it's a if it's a spinal thing, like a back thing. Um, but because my feet are suffering with it, it's not like you can just move your feet around and it'll be okay. Because it's just a constant impact. Because it's on the balls of my feet. It's just basically all the bones in the front of my feet, on my big toes. So I've been walking a funny way for ages now. <laughs> um but yeah so i haven't really tried any special diets the most common theme is sugar though if i had to pick one that was the most commonly suggested it's it's sugar i even spoke to a guy actually who um who messaged me on instagram because he does some uh i don't know if he's a, he a biochemist or something like that and he said to, he actually said to me now nah, all the all the diet stuff that people suggest is bullf- bullshit except processed sugar that actually does does cause an issue but then you'd get counter arguments to that and there's so many studies out there and so many interpretations of each study as well so you have all these all these different studies that people are citing and all these different interpretations of each one that different groups are citing and everyone's arguing with everyone else and um so in short, I've not really tried much in terms of diet. I've just been eating generally healthy. Uh, you know, just 80% of my diet is pretty fairly clean, you know. Um, I'm not like kicking the ass out of the whole IFYM thing, you know. I'm just eating generally clean and taking my medication.
0: Um, so that's that, really. Yeah, I think I think people in these cases sometimes totally overestimate the role of food sometimes Mm. in that like like we kind of talked about this a couple weeks ago about like food the idea that food is medicine like people think that oh this because this food affects this like let's say it affects like tnf alpha it's like oh it has this effect on that pathway but then you're like actually Mm. looking at your medication which is a potent inhibitor of these things so like it's a totally different level like people kind of just assume that an effect equals a therapeutic effect whereas all you're looking at is a little bit of noise that is affected yeah. by that food and then like that doesn't necessarily equal the massive effect that you're having yeah. when you're well, you know thing. injecting the that's stuff into the your body well, because if people are suggesting
2: these diets i'm like what are you suggesting it for are you saying that it's going to target the underlying mechanism which is an overactive immune system and an overproduction of tnf or are you saying it's just for symptomatic relief, and it will just it will just be like directly anti-inflammatory? And also, people misuse the term inflammation as well. People just throw it around like just to mean anything. And I know it can apply in a number of contexts, but when you say a food is anti-inflammatory, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? Because when I've got a cold, I've got inflammation, you know, or when I go to the gym, technically. A- you know, I'm causing inflammation. So what do you mean? You know, so, so it's like, uh, yeah, I, I get that There's a lot of like anecdotal stuff and people, you know, going vegan and simply split up and whatnot, but honestly don't have the patience to try a lot yeah, of but it. See, that.
1: That is, that is the thing as well. Uh, like a lot of what they're actually suggesting is just sim- symptomatic relief, you know, like again, like all this mm. anti-inflammation stuff, because if it worked to cure again, quote unquote cure the issue that you have, like, it would then also work to essentially destroy your immune system the opposite way you know if, if you're basically saying mm. oh if i eat this certain way this is going to stop my immune system being overactive so you would presume then if you are a quote unquote healthy person if you at this certain way it would downregulate your immune system to some extent as well so it's like mm. th- like w- what what are you actually arguing when you're saying Oh, this is the diet you should should be on like yes there are definitely certain things that can potentially affect the overall inflammatory response of your diet but like gary said like you're already on drugs that do that you know so it's like mm. what effect yeah. are you gonna get
2: well these drugs you see just in in the whole like bigger picture of these different flare-ups that i've had i've actually got a different form of arthritis at the moment than the initial reactive arthritis it was funny actually when they when they diagnosed me they said it primarily affects young healthy males like young healthy males are overrepresented in the reactive arthritis states so um, that was interesting I thought and then we discrimination we are overrepresented we need to, we need affirmative action discrimination to make sure equality women for all- minorities I know we need to like reject them. yeah like people and like because people who didn't understand the disease as well were like whoa so you went to morocco and got ill well i'm not gonna go morocco now (laughs) and and like i still would have got it like the next time i got ill (laughs) it would have happened you know so um yeah so i was pretty much symptom free from maybe 18 or 19 up until mm, I'm gonna say 26, 27. Um, and in that time, I was just, like I say, I was just working all the time and just training. And maybe around the age of like 24 or 25, I remember I was on exercise in Cyprus with the army and I was there for like two weeks. And I got back, and obviously, it's the most catabolic thing you can possibly do. Because you're not sleeping, you're not eating, pro- you're not eating right. You're you're at least not getting enough protein, um, and you generally are going to be losing weight. Uh, you're running around with heavy things on your back, and it's just, it's just like, it's the gains graveyard, man. It's just not, it's just not conducive to getting big. Uh, uh, these things were fighting against each other for me for ages because I was going to the gym lifting weights and like going and then going there and doing that and then I was going to exercise for a week and then or a weekend and I'm like trying to be fit as well because I was a physical training instructor as well. So I was taking the guys for runs and, you know, loaded marches and circuits and all this stuff and testing people's fitness. But what was weird was once I was qualified as a PTI, I was just automatically fit enough because I knew everyone expected me to be fit enough. It's so weird. Like, I've got to set the pace for this loaded march. We're carrying, like, 25 kilos. But I haven't actually practiced this thing for ages. And to me, it's, like, all these fitness tests that we get put through, like, once a year or, or and whatnot, you shouldn't really be preparing for it. Like, you should just – your life should should make you fit enough to pass the test when it comes up. Like, that was my attitude towards it. And people are like, oh, "Shit, we've got this like personal fitness assessment coming up next month, mm. and it's like you should be fit enough for it. You know, you should be. Everything you're doing now should be feeding into it. You know, so that when it someone springs a test on you, you can do it." Um, so I kind of got this name for myself in our unit as this fucking gym queen, you know, like <laughs> cause I'm looking you know, and like even like then if I went to take a selfie or something, I would just get a barrage of abuse, <laughs> like. Taking selfie, gay, like all this shit. Because it was such kind of like an older crowd to me <laughs> that didn't really grow up with like social media as much as I did. Um, so I was always at odds with people for that. Like, you know, and people really like, people really like didn't like me for it, like literally, you know, because mm. it was so, so what they were against. And it's like, chill out, when it's just a picture. But. But yeah, um, I, 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 I remember I got back from an exercise <laughs> and I was like, I'd just kind of gone more skinny fat than I than I was, you know, like I was just like, I was at my like base, which is just like slim slash athletics, you know what I mean? And I was like, hmm, maybe it's time to start training again. And around that time, like I got back and my brother and one of our mates had set up this like Facebook page called Cheshire Aesthetics. <laughs> so cool. It's just a it's just a bunch of lads that gym. That was all post training and pictures and videos on Facebook. We had a Facebook page and a little YouTube channel as well. And uh, I was like, and then from then on, like we started watching like all the fucking Ziz videos, <laughs> and then just c- was completely engulfed in it from like from like June 2012 up until around April May 2013, which is which was around like the time of the Body Power Fitness Expo. That phase was probably like my most intense phase of weight training ever. Like the, the transformation I made from getting back from Cyprus skinny and going to this fitness expo is like shocking when you see it on pictures. And it's probably more weight. It's probably less weight than it looks. Um, but I've posted this transfer a couple of times, and it fucking triggers people, man, big time. It triggers people big time all kinds of Natty or enhanced debates going on and I'm just like looking at it like you know it's just it's insane because it does look drastic as fuck but I was living an extreme lifestyle you know what I mean I'm training all the time I loved it loved it didn't have a clue about programming anything like that and yet best shape I've ever been in so it's funny how that works isn't it now that I know about stuff I'm like no I can't do that it's too much volume no, that would that would be over-training. Now that I know the stuff, so it's like a curse, man. We would just throw in, like, wild drop sets, <laughs> and we'd have these, like, lock-ins in the gym on a on a Sunday afternoon, like, from 2 p.m. onwards. The owner of the gym would lock it up, but he'd let us train as well and just have these, just these crazy sessions. We'd have, like, all these, like, pre-workouts. We'd try a different one each week. We'd just get all lamped up for it. Because we were just really so wrapped up in it, we, we just had such a passion for it that just it just equals great results, doesn't it? When you just have to go extreme with something to get anywhere, and so we were taking this—it's now banned—called Jack Three oh, yeah. um, You aware of it? Like the old formula, holy. Shit. Honestly, mate, we one afternoon we were driving back from we'd been like shopping in Liverpool or something, and we were literally falling asleep. You know, them afternoon, we were just getting a bit drowsy, ramble day literally falling asleep in the car got back i'd like a couple of scoops of that and it was literally like fucking pr day man like all around it was crazy like it's unbelievable the transformation that you make it's unbelievable and so we just loved it that much that we all just got in great shape over a short space of time so it's like you know genetics plus just in the gym all the time equals great results um and then from there, I think the next few years, like, so like 24, 25 through to like maybe 27, I kind of maintained a pretty decent shape. I'd cut once a year and then, you know, just vote for the rest of it. But even then, like my training wasn't, I would just do the, do a, a training split for a while until I got bored of it and then I would do something else. I, I never knew about programming like until maybe two or three years ago. Like just not, like just basics, just the basic stuff that you hear in the gym. So that was that. I think I started to get like um, I started to get some back issues around 2014, start of 2014. Um, I was traveling in Southeast Asia, uh, like December, November, December 2013, and I started noticing like back issues. They felt like muscular. Do you know what I mean? It didn't feel like it was an arthritic thing i thought i've probably just got some excessive tightness or something like that you know but it was terrible in the mornings i was like oh god my back's terrible and actually that's been that back pain has been on and off up until quite recently and i saw a few physios with it and i never really remember getting anything conclusive from them just different stretches and core strengthening exercises and like I had let really in your head, like you know. <laughs> a physio's a joke, like uh, just making it up as making I it up had, as they go along. <laughs> I had some groin issues as well, and that was I think due to like a weakening of my abs. Um, I went to see a really good physio actually. That she runs like uh, circuit training for my mom and dad once a week, <laughs> and they like, recommended it to me. And she seemed really, really knowledgeable. And actually, around the same time, I started asking her about like. Uh, you know, like flat feet and, you know, anterior pelvic tilt and all these little things that you look at and you go, oh, shit, that's me, <laughs> shit. Like, I should be worrying about that. I've, I need to catch up on the worry and I haven't been worrying for 10 years, but, but now I should. <laughs> you know, and I asked her about flat feet, actually, and she was like, and she was just like, nah, not really. It's just the way you are. I was like, what? What? Are you serious? I've got feet like paddles. Like, are you serious? You know, and, um, And actually, I thought about it. I think shit. I've been walking and running flat footed all my fucking life. It's never given me an issue. I get like knee pain now and again through like, like just like a pre, almost like a precursor to shin splints. That what I think might be that. With if I do like an intensive period of like, you know, load bearing exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, But (laughs) again, like I went and did my PTI instructor course in. 2012 and i remember i had like a bit of a knee slash shin issue around the time or it might have even been like in the outside of me like it band or something but i just know that if i do an intensive period of running i start to get knee problems that's just what happens to me i don't know if it's related to flat feet or not but (laughs) i went on this course and i didn't want to get booked on another one i didn't want to miss it so I went to the pharmacy, and I was like, have you got really strong painkillers? Like, you know, I'm just going to mask it for a couple of weeks and just get on with it. And they said, actually, if you take ibuprofen and paracetamol at the same time, it's a really powerful sort of painkiller effect. So I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Then. So I did that like three or four times a day. Passed the course, and it was fine. Um, so that was that. Just, I mean, it's just a, with injuries and stuff, I just think I'm just going to carry on doing until I can't do like if if it's not if it doesn't obviously get worse, you know within the space of a few minutes actually using it, then I'm just gonna carry on until it's until it actually does get worse and stops me from doing stuff if I can work around it if with a bit of warming up, I can get through a workout I'll do it um
1: yeah, and like there there is that really fine line like where. Like, guys are really bad for it in terms of they'll just ignore things that are clearly, like, an obvious thing, right? Like, I know loads of lads, like, because I used to, like, box and, like, I know loads of lads who'd get, like, proper punch to the kidneys, punch to the liver, whatever, and they'd be pissing blood, right? And, like, that that wouldn't be unheard of because you're like, okay, well, I just got punched in my internal organs. That's not too bad, right? But I know lads who would literally let that go for, like, a week, two weeks, three weeks, and they'd still be pissing blood. Right, and like guys are really bad for this in terms of. There is that fine line where yes, you want to ignore things to a certain extent, where, you know, if it's just a little niggle and you're kind of like, oh, I'm I'm gonna ride off the day, I'm gonna ride off everything. Like you don't want to go that extreme, but you also don't want to go like, okay, every single time I go for a run, even if it's just you know the the lightest of intensity mm-hmm. run, you're crippled in pain. Like that's that's also not what you're saying and and it is that fine line where it's like okay like you want to kind of get on with life to a large extent but you also don't want to just ignore issues until they build up and build up and build up and you're like okay my knees are completely blown to bits here and i actually can't walk anymore you know so so there is that fine line and i think for a lot of people it's hard to see if if they came to this conversation they're going like listening to you and they can kind of go well he just kind of ignored everything and it just worked out okay for him but you are also listening to your body in this time you know like even when you're saying like before like you 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 go to the doctor and you're like okay well i have this issue you know what what can i do you know you are actually going you're seeking help wherever you can find that help along the way right you're just not letting the the issue the condition the whatever be the guiding focus be the compass of your life you're not going like oh i have have a bit of knee pain can't do yeah. anything, you know. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, I was actually arthritis. Like I said, I was arthritis free, pretty much symptom free for a while, um, and the latest sort of flare up of it, it's manifest now because I've got this underlying gene thing. I now have a different type of arthritis. It's like, it's like, it's like the turn of another one now. Do you know what I mean? It's like my turn. <laughs> so what I've got now is. Called non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis. So, weigh that down. Non-radiographic means that on an X-ray, no, um, there are no bony growths or modifications. So that's that's good. Um, <laughs> axial means that it's hips and back mainly that's affected. Um, spondylo just means spinal, I think in like Latin or something like that. So non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, that's what, that actually kicked off like April 2017. So that was that, that was when that started. So from like, let's say 2006 to 2017, no arthritic symptoms really to speak of. A few little injuries here and there that may or may not have been related, but largely, largely symptom-free. In fact, maybe 2014, 2015, up until 2017, had a lot of back problems. But that, again, I don't know if it was arthritis or not. I don't know. Like I would tell my doctor, and he would say, well, you know, if it's... And he would always just fob it off as, like, a muscular thing. And he, I, once he t- tried to tell me I was at my night limit. <laughs> this is my rheumatologist, like, quite dismissive at times. I probably wasn't, like, you know, hard enough on him. Um he would be like, "Oh no! Well, if you're lifting weights a lot, you know, uh, you will get these kind of injuries, you know, all this sort of stuff." And I was like, "I'm not not lifting weights, like, you know." But like, honestly, for a long time, like 2015 to to 2017, it's hard hard for me to like give you clearly defined dates of when things were affecting me because, again, like, it's not it's, it wasn't something that I really documented very much. Like, you know, I just thought it was just injuries. And so some of it predate in 2017, the latest flare-up, so to speak, um, could have been arthritis, but just didn't really think of it that way. I just thought oh, it's probably a bit of back pain. And so for a long time, I was modifying my training, and, you know, going a lot lighter and doing trying to do really precise, like perfect technique and stuff. And I was, you know, having a lot of caffeine and painkillers and training later on in the day, so I was warmed up a bit more. Um, but twenty seven this one this arthritis that i have now the spondyloarthritis it doesn't come in like flare-ups it's just like you've got symptoms until you've sorted it and you're in remission so i've had symptoms from like april 2017 to now and it actually started with my feet so i was like yeah i know what inflammation feels like i've got swollen toes here like i've just got <laughs> i've just got big massive golf club feet so that's definitely arthritis um And then I remember it got progressively worse. And in summer, like July 2017, um, my back and my hips were just... It was unbelievable. It was, like, completely excruciating. (laughs) Um, And you see with the appointments with the NHS, it's like you have one and then you might not get seen again for another two or three months because they're just so busy. So it's like... I'm just trying to get by as best I can on having like a lot of caffeine, a lot of ibuprofen, cycling like naproxen and ibuprofen. You know, when one's effective, I'm starting to use the other. Um, <laughs> so that was really bad. Actually, I remember I was working on this like golf thing because I do a bit of like agency work as well. So it'll be like random, you know, like brand ambassador roles and things like that. And I did this like, this job that was like nine days straight outside a town hall. It was some like golf event going on, like the, the, I don't know, the, the the open or something like that. I I don't know. Or is that tennis? I can't remember, but it was like this, this major golf event was happening in the UK, a place called Southport. And the city council had put on this like series of golfing activities where the general public come in and, you know, do all these interactive golf games and like leave the kids with you and, you just get harassed by kids like with you know you're trying to like maintain order like doing all this all this stuff um so i was on that for like nine days and i remember around that time it was really kicking off and at the end of it i was going to italy with my girlfriend um and i remember my appointments weren't that frequent and i was like look i was ringing them a lot saying look i'm in a lot of pain can i start taking prednisone because i knew that i'd worked in the past right it's a symptomatic thing. But also they were keen to not have me on it as much as possible because they're so wary of side effects. I'm less worried about it than they are. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, look, if it means that my feet will be better, my back will be better, and I can wake up pain-free, I will take the risk. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so they said to me, like, yeah, you can start having um, prednisolone 10 milligrams. And I thought to myself, that's not going to do the job, 10 milligrams. So I (laughs) took it upon myself to take 40 milligrams <laughs> I just quadrupled the dose, which is actually highly irresponsible because it's strong shit, man. It's strong shit, pregnancy alone. Like it's, they use it in chemotherapy. Like it's so, it's like a fucking, but honestly it did the job like, and I was able to walk around Italy relatively pain-free and I'm glad I did it because I thought, use a cautious fucks, I'm not gonna do 10 milligrams. No way, you're being too, like, but I didn't tell them that, you see, because they would have fucking bollocked me, man. You know what I mean? Don't want to get like <laughs> discharged for for that shit. So it was like, yeah. I, so I just did that. Just took it upon myself to do that, and then they, and then they they um, started me on the Cosentix, like a few months after that, which was a interleukin inhibitor. Um, but yeah, I think I've been a, at this point. I've been away from the army since like twenty fifteen because of my joint problems. Like I had back problems that were were doing me in before that, you know, like the muscular ones I was on about. And for that reason, um, I signed a few different like leave agreements and said that I would come back when symptoms were cleared up. And actually recently, as it happens, my rheumatologist has sent them a letter to explain the prognosis to them because they were asking questions recently, like, are you going to come back or not? You know, how's your joints? Um, can we get a letter so we can make a decision on it so I should find out about that in the next few weeks actually whether they're going to say actually it's best you leave me or we'll keep you on and see how it, see how it develops um, but yeah the foot issues started 2017 went into 2018 well up until now really but um, well, I tried one immunosuppressant called Cosentix which the active ingredient name is Secukinumab so that's uh, an interleukin inhibitor And as I understand it, there are different cells produced by your immune system to fight infection. And different targeted immunosuppressants suppress different types of cells. And the only way of knowing which ones your body is overproducing is by taking different medication to see if you get symptomatic relief. So I took Cosentix for a year from November 2017 up until recently. Um, and it was, uh, it like nothing happened. So I was like, look, well, this is not working. And my left foot started to get worse than my right. It had always been my right foot worse than my left. Um, and to give you an idea, I'm trying to think of a pain to compare it to. Like the, the whole front of my feet were just swollen, just swollen, just swollen, like, It would be different on some days than others. Um, And so I would have to, I would literally just be limping around, like (laughs) just limping around, like walking on my heels and stuff and um, just using my stronger leg to propel me forwards. And actually I was walking into town with our Joe um, a few months back and we were walking along the canal and he was walking ahead of me because I couldn't walk as fast. And he turned around and realized that he was walking too fast for me. And he said, he was like, Oh, do you want me to slow down? And I said, no, no, it's fine. Like, and I just, I just, I, I didn't really think of it, but it, it didn't really occur to me to have people slow down for me. I just thought you just walk normally and I'll keep up with you just in a fucked up way. I'll just look weird. You know, I mean? <laughs> <laughs> really said a bad word there. <laughs> Don't
1: worry. We curse all the time.
2: <laughs> so, so I'll just, I'd rather do that than have allowances made for me. Do you know what I mean? Um, And it's not like a... Why is it? I mean, I I don't know. I just can't be bothered dwelling on it. Like, you know, I just just don't want to... I just don't want a fuss made of it. Like, So,
0: yeah. So in terms of, like, that brings us up to pretty much where you are now. So, like, right now, you're like what are your main symptoms at the, at this point it's it seems to be just kind of the feet yeah. that are bothering you or do you still get the eye problems back problems where are you at?
2: they it's basically when i first got it yeah it was like about about 2 months after after i was clear of the arthritic symptoms in in 2006 i remember, like my right eye started getting really painful and it was extremely sensitive to light like it just got it just got progressively worse over the course of this day to the point where I had to be in my room with the lights off, under the covers, eyes closed, like literally as dark as you could possibly get because the, the it, it was so sensitive to light and it was all bloodshot. Like an ache, almost like a bruising, kind of like that. Um, and that usually one flares up and then you suppress it with um, eye drops or prednisone tablets. So I've been on and off that for ages. And then once that's been suppressed, the other one kicks off usually, and then you suppress that, and then you'll be good for a few months. And so I've had numerous like injections, like underneath each eyeball, like you know just in the skin underneath your eye. So it doesn't actually go into your eyeball, but it's just in the soft part underneath your eye. And they give you that, and it just provides like a pocket of uh, like steroidal. It's prednisolone basically. It's just preferable to being on the the tablets um because it's just not the same in terms of side effects and so i had that i had numerous injections like that, and i actually had i went private with it at one point i think that was a birthday present from me Mom and dad actually <laughs> here you go we're gonna go private and and i got this really expensive injection and the, that one actually was in my eyeball <laughs> so <clears throat> they sort of like i was lying down and this goes through people because especially people who don't like needles. I've had all kinds of needles, like under my kneecap and like in my ankle, and just all kinds of awkward places. Um, so this this one was like they put this perspe- perspex perspects like round my eyelid to keep my eye from closing, like reflexively. And then they the needle just came in my eyeball from the side. Um, everything just went grey for a little bit, and then they injected this what was called an implant, which is just this really expensive drug because. The inflammation—it's called anterior uveitis, so it's inflammation of the uvea. Um, That actually—that's a blanket term. So it was the iris with me. Um, So they would, they, and at at one point, actually, my optic nerve—the the the, that leads to your brain—was inflamed, which is pretty bad. And I remember the doctor like sitting with me and saying, "It was—it was one of them like you should be worried conversations." (laughs) Actually, she moved the. The, the eye thing to the side, you know, the little apparatus thing that they used to look into your eye? I really know the name of it by now. You um, moved that to one side and she said, Michael, it looks like looking at the back of your eye, your optic nerve is actually inflamed and your sight could actually be in jeopardy if this continues. And I was like, oh shit, like, <laughs> might go blind here. <laughs> so, uh, but that was, turned out okay. Managed, managed to suppress the inflammation and that was okay so yeah I've had the eye problems on and off up until this point injections in my eyeball It was. I remember actually in the in the appointment I was like is this going to give me a black eye because I've had a few black eyes from my eye injections you know underneath and they said oh no this won't give you a black eye because it's going into your actual eyeball so you'll be alright I was like oh right <laughs> that was when I found out <laughs> so uh, yeah nice birthday present That grateful cool for that um, so yeah that's that uh, where were we up to after that up to now yeah so the foot problems uh, yeah they I just have massive feet like and I've just been I, I and do you know what still like I still like even when it was at its worst I was going for a walk every day like because if I'm working for my laptop I don't want to be sat in here all day so I'm going to walk into town and back even if i have to limp you know what i mean like i will i will still go like because i don't know it's just i don't know why like i mean maybe a part of me sort of likes it <laughs> it's so weird like i'm quite into military history and i read about a lot of you know people who've been dealt these like terrible things like they had one arm or like you know i read about a guy who had like he was an officer a british officer and he had the belts that they wore had a sword on what a sword sheath on one side and a pistol holder on the other like that was the belts they were issued with he lost an arm so he made he custom made his own belt so that he, with his one arm he could choose either a pistol or a sword from the same side <laughs> That's, that was incredible that was amazing like unbelievable and so I read a lot about stuff like that and how people have overcome stuff like that, and I think, oh, actually, so what I've got is just it's not a fucking issue. Like, and then it, and then I sometimes feel guilty, like, and think maybe I could have done more. Maybe I could have done even more. Do you know what I mean? But I think that's a healthy mindset to have to not be completely satisfied in that sense, because then you're not like sitting back and saying, oh, can't do it because I've got this, you know. Um, and so people are like, oh, how do you lift weights with all this stuff? Because you know, even when I had back issues, I was like. I was trying to train as well as I could and it's quite simple actually with arthritis when it's when it's like spinal issues and chest issues because I had like a lot of thoracic issues as well right because it gives tightness of the chest is a symptom um and chronic fatigue is a symptom as well so I was waking up feeling like I'd not had enough sleep even though I've had like eight or nine hours which is weird and I was like wow what's what's this and then I thought oh it's just a symptom of of the arthritis like So I would breathe in like take a deep breath and it'd just be really tight around my chest. So for bench press, for example, doing all these fucking deep breathing exercises to like stretch my chest out first before I can properly do any pressing or rowing or anything. Um, so that's one way that I got around it physically. But an important thing to note is people are saying, how do you still train with it? And it's quite simple. Training makes it better and not worse. Um, because it is just inflammation slash pain. It's not an injury that you're going to make worse. Um, they, they say motion is lotion with arthritis. So, so yeah, the only exception is my feet, because it's just impact, impact, mm-hmm. impact. Yeah. Um, so even though it's a, technically a spinal arthritis that I've got, um, you can get what's called peripheral joint inflammation, which is hands and feet. So for me, thankfully, my hands are all right. And it's just it's just my feet. I mean, I don't know what you think would be worse, but
1: um, but either way, like, just deal with it the same way. So for, from this then, if you're people listening to this, what is your, your kind of message to them? Because obviously, like, this is a lot of, like, the deep reflection yourself. Like, you obviously have a lot of these beliefs, maybe from your childhood, maybe from your parental influences and stuff, you know, but you have this deep belief obviously, again, influenced by the stuff that you're reading, looking at other people throughout history that have dealt with, you know, fucking way worse than anything we're going to deal with in the fucking best time alive we've ever been in, you know, in world history, you know, and you're reading what all these people are doing. If someone's listening to this and maybe they're not going through, you know, an autoimmune condition, maybe they're not going through something, you know, they haven't lost a fucking leg to an IED or something, you know, they're not in the... Mm the category of people that you're like, oh, well, they're in this extreme. So, you know, maybe they're more likely to have an extreme response. Maybe it's just someone that's, you know, Mm. they have a few little niggles here. Maybe they were in a little bit of a car crash or something, you know, they have a few dings, nothing serious, nothing necessarily chronic. But they're in this mentality or they're falling into this mentality where, you know, they they kind of, I suppose, again, like a, a victimhood mentality. They're kind of like, oh, well, these things have happened to me. I'm just, I'm fucked. I'm, I'm just right off. Like, what would you want that person to take away from this discussion? What would you want? Like, what would you, how would you like your story to influence their thought process? I think I
2: would start by saying that, and, and it's hard, it, you see, all the cliches are true. And that's why, that's why you brush over them and don't really let them land. And So a big one is that there's a lot of people with worse than you that literally do not have the opportunity to entertain that as an issue. Like, they don't have the opportunity. It's not an option for them to frame it as though it's debilitating. Literally don't. And in a way, that's how I feel because it literally doesn't occur to me to think of it that way. Because there's just so many, like, A, there's so many people with way worse symptoms. And I'm inspired by reading about that and people who've overcome, you know, crazy odds to do the stuff that they do. I I watched, just a quick side tangent, I watched a documentary about a guy that had an arm and two legs blown off in Afghanistan. And he's now a skiing instructor with all these, like, poles and aids and stuff. He's like, he's like, no, I don't see why it should bother me, really. I'm the same person I was before, except minus three limbs. That's literally what it's Incredible, like, it's incredible. And so I'm not going to let a swollen foot get in my way, you know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just going to joke about it. I think it's funny. Like, you have to make a joke of it. I'm just going to, like, you have to really be able to take the piss out of yourself, like, it's it's really a reflection of how you generally tend to think, like how you frame your disease. You know, because if you think everything's happening to you, then you're gonna, you, you're literally gonna make it worse because of the whole psychosomatic issue. You know, you're just gonna, you're just gonna imagine it into being. Um, and so I would just say to them, try to frame it a little bit differently, and. Think of it as something that, just think of it as something that's potentially there to stay, and think what can you do within within your own sphere of influence, rather than you know looking at other people perhaps and thinking, well, most of the population don't have this issue, but you know you're not you're not most of the population, so um, you just have to kind of get on with it. And all the all the cliches are true, by the way, they're all so true, but you just because the cliches, you don't really entertain them and the, you don't let them land. You literally don't let them on. You're like scrolling through Instagram. You're like, yeah, yeah, trust the process, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then something happens to you, an experience, and you go, oh shit, trust the process. Whoa. And then it lands because because it's because you're at the center of the story, right? It's so hard to get a message through to someone else. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, that I would just want them to not frame it as this debilitating thing and just really try and think, put it in perspective and think about people who have it much, much worse and how cheerful some of them are with much worse things because it's incredible.
1: That's fair. Um Gary, do you have any other questions for our lovely Iranian bodybuilder here now? <laughs> yeah, so I suppose like if people if people do know you, you know,
0: from, from Instagram and stuff, they're probably wondering, like, what is the future for Mike Delaney? Like, what are, what are your personal plans, if you'd like to share them? Do you want to keep going with the Army Reserves? Do you want to set up mm-hmm. your own business, keep going with the coaching? Or <sighs> This is a question that
2: I've been meaning to address lately, actually, because people look at you and if you have you know just a small bit of success or whatever or you seem in the slight bit influential then they think that you set out and you intended to do that you know and there's though there's this big like emotional backstory to it and actually i've kind of just been shunted into fitness <laughs> through genetic predisposition and just masses of people saying do you do training programs? Do you do training programs? Do you do meal plans? Where can I see your workouts? And I'm like, Oh fuck's sake. Like, I guess I better do some, you know, I, I guess I better brush up on this and offer some kind of services like, you know, because the ROI is, is pretty good on it. But also I enjoy helping people as well. There's nothing, there's nothing worse than a client details form. That's just doesn't give you much to customize it from. Do you know what I mean? This, this, I'm like, tell me about yourself so I can be interested. You know, that's, like, on my, my forms, I, I literally have a location field because I want to know where people are from. It doesn't matter where they're from, but I want to know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, exactly. So I feel like perhaps I wouldn't have picked this if I'd have had my way, but I'd just rather just fallen into it and it's it works like, you know, it's, it's good. Um, but I'm thinking in the future I'll probably move away from coaching um, because it's just not something I would have picked, naturally. Like, I don't mind it. It's good. But I'm probably not, like, thriving at the moment. So my approach to fitness and stuff has always been as a hobby and a side thing and, and, and something that's a byproduct of my lifestyle. So, you know, just being physically active is always going to be something that I do. Um, I probably have more of an interest in history and military stuff, um, so I am th- I really can't see myself going back to university at this point. I say going back, I never went in the first place, but I, I really can't see myself going to academia at this point and slogging out a three-year degree. Um, so I'm perhaps thinking of a way that I can satisfy that career sort of urge without, without Going the academic route, you know, maybe I'll make a fucking YouTube channel about battles or something, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, like recently, it's funny you mention it, like recently on social media, like literally the last few weeks, I've started being a bit less filtered, like trying to, um, and just documenting stuff rather than trying to create stuff, you know, um, and just putting stuff up without thinking too much. And as a result, I think it's become a lot more comedic. Um, and I think that's the approach I would rather have in terms of like an online fitness presence rather than coaching. It's just that practically, mm-hmm. I need something to replace coaching first. Um, and it'll always be there. Like if people ask me, you know, I, I don't see why I wouldn't do it. Um, but it's just not something that I probably would have picked if I'd have sat down and had a choice about it, um, so yeah, I'd probably gonna get try and utilize a bit more like theatrical, theatrical propensities as well. So I'm with an agency at the minute called Boss Casting, and that was who got me the commercial, and they get me odd bits of TV work as well. So <laughs> I'm always doing these like funny accents and stuff, which is probably mean. Um, and I'm thinking I might even create some kind of uh, some little characters out of that and like little side series with it do you know what I mean Um, also this is kind of linked to the to what we've been talking about with me not really thinking too much about arthritis like over the years um, I never bothered to look up I never bothered to post about it for a long time. For starters, I just never spoke about it. Literally started speaking about it less than two years ago, and intermittently at that. And so I'm finding a lot of people that have suffered with the same issues. And so I'm probably going to look to try and get more involved with um, people who've had problems and different organisations. You know, maybe I'll maybe I'll be like an ambassador of Arthritis UK foundation or something like that um so yeah i'll probably look into that um because it just like a part of me is like don't talk about it because you're giving people ammunition to talk about it and dwell on it but then a part of me is like well no if you don't talk about it you're literally just not showing up and then nobody knows and then you don't help anyone so it's kind of like catch 22 in a way Um, so I'll probably get involved in that somehow, maybe get involved in some clinical research or something like that. Um, I saw somebody made a video recently called from anorexic to athlete. And it was a girl who had from anorexia, like really badly. Um, like the pictures are horrific. Honestly, you should should go and watch it. And she's made a great transformation and she made this video. It's just like 20 minute video, like dead cheesy, you know, like with music and that. And she had a YouTube channel, she had like a few hundred subscribers. The video is now on like, I don't know, it's like one and a half at least million views. So I might just throw one of them up. But gym-related humour will always be always be the core of how I approach like fitness and stuff, I suppose. Yeah. But um in short, I'm I'm still figuring all that out, like where I'm gonna go in the future and that. Which sounds weird, right? I'm 30. Like should have it figured out, but, <laughs> but no. Um, actually, the last drug that I started, the Adalimumab, I started that two weeks ago now, two or three weeks ago. I actually noticed quite an improvement since taking it, which is good. I, actually, I even ran to the gym yesterday, which was incredible. I was ecstatic, just like, wow. Like, it just felt so good to run, because I haven't ran for like a year or something. You know, like I might have had a good day with it, where I was like able to do a little jog on the treadmill, you know, with a bit of support, um, like with some spongy trainers on or something. But yesterday I ran to the gym. It was crazy, man. I was like, whoa, proper mad, but like really good because that's where my heart is. Like being outdoors and running up hills and
1: stuff that was a fairly in-depth uh, discussion in terms of going forward with things and i think that is actually a really good side of things obviously the, the whole discussion we've had is a really good side of things that people all, often don't see but you, you you brought to attention two things that i think social media kind of does gloss over and you you mentioned it there as well you know like you obviously have a condition that for a lot of people would preclude them from ever thinking that they could be in a position like you in terms of your physique, in terms of your, your overall development, you know, but you also are showing the fact that just because, you know, social media makes it look like you have everything together. Like you have thousands of followers, you know, you've a a strong social media presence, you know, you get viral pictures, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, but you, you still are figuring out life. And I think a lot of people, especially, the the younger generations like you know the the teens and stuff they they feel like they're they're looking at these you know idols and whatever and they're kind of like oh they have their life completely together they have everything 100 percent but most people it's not until they're like 30 35 40 that they they start going okay now everything's kind of clicking into place Mm -hmm. for me and even still you see people having like midlife crises and stuff where they're Mm -hmm. like it's not together like
2: my life is literally a wreck, man. Like literally, it's a shit show. I don't know but, what I'm doing. I'm literally just existing. Like I'm. But that's it. <laughs> I'm, everything I do, I'm. I'm just. Exi- I'm not thriving. I'm coping.
1: <laughs> but that is it for a lot, a lot of people, you know. Yeah. And especially when you like, you clearly have a passion for a certain thing. You know, like, obviously, this military history and stuff, which I'm going to ask you a question about now in a second, and you better give me the right answer. Um, (laughs) um, But you obviously have a passion for that. But what I think a lot of people don't realize is that even if you have a passion for something, even if you have uh, a love of something, like you obviously enjoy the gym, love the gym, enjoy training, enjoy the outdoors, that doesn't necessarily give you an avenue to make money from it or monetize it. But that that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to because i think a lot of people fall into this this thing especially around the fitness stuff like a lot of people enjoy training they enjoy you know exercising they enjoy the the whole gym scene you know and they automatically think like oh better monetize this i better make money from this you know and it kind of sucks all the life out of it you know it does it really does you know like if you, you you were even saying earlier on like you obviously you know, building your physique, like you obviously enjoy training a certain way. And maybe, you know, the, the the issues you've had preclude you from actually training that way. So you have to train a different way. But even without that, you know, y- you kind of want to train a certain way because you know that that's going to make you more money. And that's going to make you more likely to have viral pictures, you know, like you might start like dieting, and you get a lot of reward from dieting in terms of, you know, you're more shredded, yeah. pictures are more viral. And you're like, okay, well, yeah. I'm going to keep keep dieting, I'm going to get as jacked and shredded as possible. And it's like, this isn't necessarily what you want, you know, but it's like, this is, this is where so- social media is pushing you. And this is where like what's being rewarded. And I think a lot of people let that side of the fitness get into their overall life plan, you know, and then, and then they end up three, four years down the line. They're like, you know, I kind of fell into this. Like you are saying, you kind of fell into this where it's like, this is not really want- what I want to do. Like, obviously it is, you enjoy it. You know, and m- most people do like most people enjoy, but like, I think most people, humans, enjoy being teachers in terms of they enjoy helping. You, you, you kind of fall into this whole fitness sphere. And like you even said it yourself, like you obviously enjoy it. I think a lot of people do enjoy being a teacher. They enjoy being someone that can impart their wisdom, whatever wisdom that is that they've accumulated. Yeah, like people, people enjoy that, like helping other people. Like most people, I, I think, enjoy that. And especially if you're in this fitness sphere stuff, like you see the impact that, you know, training fitness has on your life, the individuals around you, you see how much of a change you can make. Mm. And you kind of get sucked into that where you want to help individuals. This gives you an, an avenue to directly impact people's lives. So you, if people want to be teachers, which I think most people do, you can see how you get really sucked into that lifestyle. But a lot of people get burnt out with it in terms of three, three four years is the average life expectancy of you know this personal trainer type person. And I think for a lot of people, yeah. even though, yes, you want to monetize your hobby to an extent you know i think a lot of people would be better served not monetizing their fitness stuff (laughs) if that makes sense like actually keep it as a hobby for as long as it can be a hobby
2: yeah well actually i think to myself sometimes if i wasn't being rewarded for it how would i be training like i'm training just to look as good as i can Mm. at the moment I do enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. I, I enjoy it. It's great going to the gym, getting a pump and just seeing the results and looking good and then getting loads of lights. <laughs> but, but you know, like I'd probably do, like I'm going to go start sprinting soon. Like as soon as I can, I'm going to, I like running fast. Man. <laughs> like I'm running and being outdoors and climbing up mountains. I love, love mountaineering. Love it. Um, so I'll probably do more of that. And I'm just going to stop tracking my intake as well. I mean, I don't track at the moment, but I'm just going to have rough bases covered. And then, yeah, so that's a goal of mine, just have my social media be a bit more representative or be, be more authentic, basically, than it actually is. Because at the moment, it's like that's dictating the mm-hmm. rest. Like the results through that are dictating what I'm doing rather than, rather
0: than it being a snapshot of what I'm doing. That I choose mm-hmm. That's- yeah and I think it be, I, could, I think it be, can be difficult as well because what what ends up happening is like you know you take you take what people are feeding back to you in terms of like what they enjoy what they reward you for what they comment on and then that sort of essentially leads to your subsequent behaviors like I've definitely even found that among mm. like I don't know if, if patty would agree but sometimes because like our business is kind of based very much on putting out the science related kind of information related to fitness and what ends up happening sometimes is like both of us obviously got into fitness because we love yeah. training and like that i really like being outdoors so does paddy i like going running and stuff or as we call it jogging. um and you know it's it's just general fitness and training that i find really enjoyable and what happened what happens a lot of the time is you post stuff on social media and then every everything you do people ask why are you doing that why are you doing that why are you doing that and it's like you kind of you kind of forget that like this yeah, is my oh, hobby like this is what I enjoy. Not everything needs a reason because it's for pleasure as well.
2: Yeah, literally like I I, I eat like a carrot or something <laughs> like a raw carrot like, and I'll get DMs like, what meal is this? Like, what time would you? Be it? like, it's
1: not. It's not got a number, man. I'm a you know I mean? like I'm not really thinking about it that much. Yeah, and they're like, what special benefits does this fucking, these blueberries yeah. and raspberries you're eating, is this going to yeah, give you an extra yeah, like, pump?
2: Like, I like, I didn't eat till three o'clock yesterday because I was fucking taking selfies and trying to get a picture to post today. <laughs> I was doing, doing today's work yesterday. And so I, I forgot to eat and didn't eat until three o'clock. I didn't want to say, I was going to put a quick story up and go, when you forget to eat for 10 hours or whatever it <laughs> is, you know. Um because I knew I'd get questions about what do you think about fasting? Have you ever fasted? Da, 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 da. Like, oh,
1: you know, so I just didn't say it. <laughs> but it's just that's what happens. Um so yeah. This this is why I just basically don't use social media. If you go on my social media, it basically has whatever books I'm listening to, random pictures of me squatting on random objects, and that's it like. Yeah. <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> I was like, fuck this. Like, yeah. I let Gary Gary answer all the questions. I'll be like, Gary, you you can you can do all that. I'll just do all the background work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, right. This is the, the brass the brass tacks of it. Would you consider the seven years war seven years war world war one? The real world war one? I? I think so. Right. Okay, I would agree with you. But then the question is would you then consider the Napoleonic Wars the real World War II?
2: The Napoleonic Wars as I understand it were not as expansive as the Seven Years' War.
1: They were still a worldwide war though.
2: Yeah. Perhaps,
1: yeah. No, that's the wrong answer. Sorry, look, fuck off, you're gone. (laughs) End this.
2: I heard people like people in America called, called World War One and World War II the European War because like it, it wasn't on American soil. Yeah, well, it was European
1: well, think, it? At, at the
2: start, so
1: you know that's why the Seven Years' War was the only true World yeah. War. Yeah, because it was on American soil too. It was in every, like literally every corner of the Earth, Africa, everything. Yeah, man. I'm just saying. So it's the real world war, world war zero yeah. anyway. I, le- I learned something new today. <laughs> right. Gary, do you have any, do you have any, it's also why America is an independent nation. But anyway, look, that's a completely other story. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gary, do you have any historic questions? Because you know nothing about history. So, you know, you might as well get a nice little education here while you're at it.
0: I'm just going to ask the typical BuzzFeed question that's been around for the last like six months. Churchill, good or bad? Oh no, I got, I got I got major stick for this on my uh, on my. Instagram.
2: You're gonna get it right. Went, and at the end, it went down. Like someone asked me that, and they are basically being provocative, but they asked it in such a provocative way. They were like, "We think he's a cunt in England. You guys love him. Which is it?" And I was like, "What? Like you want me to just say like overwhelmingly one or the other? It comes down to yeah. just." Basically, not summing somebody up as a complete hero if they've done like terrible shit as well. Do you know what I mean? Um, And everything—if you look into all the, you know, like the bad stuff and the good stuff—there is always more to learn, and it's really not so simple. Um, It just means, though, that we probably shouldn't put someone up as a hero before we've learned about like the bad stuff that someone's done. Um, But overall, I'm going to say hero.
1: I I would have to agree, man. Like, you know, you need need that kind of person at that time.
2: Yeah. Well, I say that, though. And the Second World War is like, he's kind of remembered for that because that was his, like, biggest sort of, that was his sort of finest hour, you know. Um, And so he's remembered for that. But I've read a lot about his early life, you know, as well. And he, you know he was involved in the the last ever British uh, British Army cavalry charge on horseback in uh, in Sudan, and he, he killed five people with his revolver. And he wrote home to his mother, and he said, "I felt completely calm, as calm as I do now as I write this." Which I think that yeah, there was just him making an observation about himself, like, "Oh, I thought I'd be nervous, but I wasn't." So yeah. He wrote a he wrote a little book about it called The River War. It's that interesting. Um but yeah, no, I read about and, and like escaping from a prisoner of war camp in in uh in South Africa as well. Like climbing this wall and like getting shot at and just escape was just all this crazy shit he did, but I understand like it's uh, it's quite contentious because there was a lot of stuff he did that was mm. had a lot of, you know,
1: repercussions. <laughs> uh so it's not straightforward, is it? Yeah, that, that's basically my opinion of English history as a whole. I'm like, man, all you English, all you British lads, literally, I'm like, this this is crazy. You literally set up the world, democracy as we know it. Like, people go on, oh, Greeks and everything. It's like, the Greeks did fucking nothing. The, the Romans, yeah, cool. Great Roman Empire, fucking awesome. Love the Romans. But the British yeah. perfect, perfected democracy, right? And I love British history. And, like, every single man on my dad's side of the family fought for Britain, you know? So, I'm like, oh, I fucking love British history. As soon as you mention British history in Ireland, I'm like, oh, those fucking wankers.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it's the, it's the it's the most recent, you know, unless you count America, because technically it's like the American empire now, isn't yeah. it? It's just in the modern world, it's through different means, you know, rather than like, colonialism and all the rest Mm. of it so it's probably the most recent aside from the american one if you count that it's probably the most recent like world empire
1: greatest empire of all times i'm sorry it just is like that'll trigger a lot of irish people but it still is the greatest empire of all times
2: yeah yeah i triggered a lot of people man i got a lot i got a lot of uh, a lot of dms (laughs) yeah um i'm always reluctant to answer history questions because like it just it's political, isn't it? And uh, I'm supposed to just be a guy with that, man.
1: Fuck okay, it. But if you look, if you love history and you're looking to get into history, you're going to have to get used to answering tough questions. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I
2: might, I might have to make a new account for it though. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. Like, cause you've got to stay in your lane, man, like business-wise. <laughs> that's very fair. Um, Yeah, maybe I'll do that in the near future. There's a, there's a great page called history jokes. It's
1: just, it's literally hilarious, man. You should check it out. Yeah, I follow a load of uh, history meme pages. They're fucking lit, like. Yeah. Um, you could also this is this can be one for your 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 history channel and interspersed with your fitness channel, and especially if you get back into running to some extent, right? Uh, at the fall of the Maginot Line, right? My granddad was fighting on the Maginot Line, right? And he basically said that he ran back from the Maginot line to Dunkirk. He actually got blown up on Dunkirk and then he was evacuated. And um, so imagine that like running all the way back and then getting fucking blown up at the last fucking point. But anyway, uh, he, he, he basically said he ran all the way back and he was like, I didn't stop running until my feet hit the sea. Right. So myself and Gary, that's 550 miles. Like obviously the chap didn't run at all. Like he's fucking waffling me here. And, like, um, but five, 550 miles so myself and gary we were like mm, let's let's do this let's actually just fucking basically yog from the fall the, the Maginot line to dunkirk uh are you gonna wear a helmet and uniform yeah see i was thinking that but then i was like oh if we do a full reenactment you know you know france will probably shoot us
2: yeah but then again <laughs> you won't add- on the outside right side, though, I mean, you wouldn't be car- you wouldn't be carrying as much weight as you would carry now. Like soldiers carry more weight now than
1: ever. Yeah, that's fair. Also, he was like, my granddad was like, yeah, we basically dropped everything and fucking legged it. And I was like, well, that was a stupid idea. He was like, yeah, we dropped our gu- dro- dropped our guns and everything. I was like, well, that's fucking stupid. So he was definitely carrying no weight, and he also definitely no definitely fucking got a lift. You know, like jumping on the back of fucking some truck or whatever else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But we're gonna jog the whole thing potentially we might fucking drive some of it you know know. we're thinking not this summer but next summer I'll do it if you can keep up like you know we're not gonna wait for you like (laughs) see
2: so I'll just wear my fucking PTI vest there you go
1: like boxes of of Brennan's alone with with your chewing back and everything um (laughs)
2: It's what everyone eats loads of in the army. Fucking Haribo, yeah. they love it, mate. Haribo, take it on exercise because it's like the most compact form of yeah. energy you can get, really. In it, so, so Haribo. I mean, you could take dates, but they're just not—they're just not convenient yeah. to just pack into your kit, man. You know, I'm or as tasty, just yeah, open is- thing. And sticky. Yeah. <laughs> You can just get the longest sore release beats, ever actually. and just pull it out of your book Like just eat it foot by foot. Fair. So Gary, <laughs>
1: keep note of that. We'll fucking do that next summer. Um, anyway, that we've been going for nearly fucking two hours. So oh. do you have, well you obviously do, but do you have anything you want to shout out? Social media, you know, where can people find your services? Basically fucking sell yourself. Uh Basically,
2: I'm still taking on clients, taking on clients all the time. Um, I have a few bigoties to come up this summer. That is for customized training programs, 12 weeks, 16 weeks, or any duration outside of that can be edited. Um, Meal plans as well. If you have any dietary preferences, obviously they're completely customized. Coaching packages as well, which is training program, meal plan, weekly check-ins, case me whenever you want. Um surprising number of people don't utilize that actually and fucking drop off the face of the earth I'm like bro, come on get your head in the game <laughs> um, so yeah, anyone's interested in that you can find me at www.instagram.com forward slash Delaney 7 or if you live in the real world just mjdelaney7 on Instagram <laughs> that's pretty much it
1: that's fair, Gary do you have any uh, final questions or yes. comments or thoughts thoughts um
0: no thanks very much for coming on the podcast um, as i said we haven't had very much or very many guests um like the only time we, we want to get guests on mm-hmm. is if they have some kind of unique story to tell and obviously this yep. is very much in line with the things that we talk about so thank you and hopefully anyone that did listen you can kind of put this put mike as a sort of case study <laughs> as to some of the things we talk about around you know nocebo yeah. having a, a good mindset um, not saying things that make you weak um, because essentially strength starts with your words and that's something we're big on.
1: I have n- literally nothing to add. So uh, that's it, guys. I hope you all enjoyed this. As for usual, like, comment, subscribe, do that whole fucking shebang. Tell your friends, tell your nan, tell whoever fuck. Um, that's it. I'm going to just end it right now.